four nerds in their 30s, each with family and job responsibilities. Time is limited, money is limited, maturity is setting in, but there's always time for a little lunch. Pull up a chair and open up your brown paper bag. Nerd Lunch is beginning now. Hi, I'm CT, host of Nerd Lunch, and this is a podcast, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I plugged in my mighty mic and said, by the power of Skype, I have the power. Only three others shared this secret, our friends Jeej, Paxton <laughs> Holly, and Sean Robert. Together, we defend the secrets of Castle Nerd Lunch. All right, let's bring in everybody. Good morning, Jeej. Good morning, everybody. The, the good news is I've got a whole bunch of leftover Halloween candy here with me. The bad news is it's all Eternia Rocks bubblegum from 1983. <laughs> That's good news, actually, I think. Oh, <laughs> do, you, do you think it's safe to eat? Uh, maybe. It might give you powers. All right. I'm going to open some and try it. <laughs> give it a shot. All right. Also maybe bring... powers that you don't want to deal with. <laughs> it might. Uh, yeah, it might. We might uh, you might like have this horrible power like you can extend your neck really long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, also, uh, who we just heard from, Paxton Holly. Hello, fellas. Just hanging out here in the jungle room of the Castle Gray Skull, looking to take apart some '80s pop culture. Awesome. You hear that trap door? <laughs> <laughs> just hanging out with the sorceress. All right, and then. Um, Returning for we will have our first returning guest um, from all the way back from uh, episode two when we talk Back to the Future. We have uh, joining us uh, again in this episode uh, Sean Robert from BrandedInTheEighties.com. Hello, Sean. Hey guys, I'm just standing at the bottom of Snake Mountain with a little cup, trying to get some of that lava coming out of the mouth. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm probably going to take it back to Man at Arms so we can make a gun out of it. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> Excellent plan. All right. Well, uh, welcome back, Sean. Uh, it's been um, it's been now like uh, what uh, eight eight weeks or so since you've uh, been on, and uh, you uh, you mentioned just before we started recording, you've been listening to the the podcast. Uh, I mean, do you feel like do you feel like we've uh, been coming into our own here after you know after being in um, you know just just being on an uh, episode two? Do you feel now that you're on episode ten? It's like now you're now you're really on a podcast. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think by episode three, you guys definitely had your podcasting legs. <laughs> and I'll tell you, there was a couple of episodes where I wish, I just wish that I could like get Skype running and go back through time to get when you guys were recording so I could jump in on some of the conversations. <laughs> now, you actually made that comment, I think, on um, on the blog about the uh, episode seven. You said that you wanted to chime in on The Wire. I don't know. Do you want to take the opportunity to, to say your piece about The Wire now? or? Sure. Yeah. I, I was just... Um, Mostly because I don't think anyone had really watched it. I think uh, your guest had watched like a couple episodes. Um, but it's, it's, it's a show that I've made my way through the entire thing. And yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, draining and very depressing. But um, I was surprised going through it the first time that if you give the first season a chance, if you, you make it all the way through, it's, it's surprising how well that show is written and structured. It, um, it comes off kind of... Um, like that decompressed storytelling that they tend to do in comics these days where it seems like nothing really happens in an episode. But unlike a lot of other shows where you're left at, with a huge cliffhanger at the end of the season and nothing really feels fulfilled, this show sort of like comes all together by like the 12th episode and everything makes sense. Um, so it was, it was just a really refreshing take on that kind of decompressed storytelling. 
that you see a lot these days. Yeah. And honestly, the the thing that amazed me the most, and the thing that I that I loved the most about the show was that instead of having like a specific actor or a character that was sort of the driving force of the show, at the end of the day, by the time you're done with that first season, you really realize that the the main character of that show is the city of Baltimore. And it's a theme that they just run with through the rest of the series. It's it's just something that um, a lot of other television hasn't really done very much. You know, they'll they'll you know stay on a cop or they'll you know try to have some kind of a like in Lost they'll have some kind of a concept that they kind of try to wrap the show around. But I don't know. I just thought that was a really interesting take on on television. So if you were to rank this up and put it up against Miami Vice, where where would it fall? Probably who. Probably right above Miami Vice. Okay, okay. Um, I definitely like a lot of the stuff that uh, Michael Mann did with Vice in those first few seasons. He definitely changed TV with that show. But I think The Wire takes writing and characterization way further than than Miami Vice ever could. So, all right. Well, I think I I think I commented uh, on that episode that I wasn't um, I wasn't really sure if it was my cup of tea because of that uh, sort of realistic, dark, and depressing sort of. Yeah, sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think um, I'm actually uh, going to have some f- more free time uh, in a few months. And I'm going to I'm actually think I'm going to put that first season of The Wire on my list of things to watch. So uh, and that's primarily because of the, the sort of the, the little bit of backlash we got on the blog comments and then Twitter some uh, about this show. So, <laughs> well, right, you've I talked me into its, it. <laughs> it's got its super hyped fans. I definitely know that. Hi, hey, Sean. Do you think that the. To enjoy the show, you need to watch multiple seasons. Can you watch just the one season and then decide? I mean, personally, for I you, think, I, yeah, I think, I think just the the one season is is enough to kind of seal the deal. the The rest of it goes a little deeper, and it you know it enriches some of the stories. And again, when when you get into the, the later seasons, it basically takes um, the city of Baltimore and it looks at it from a different angle. Whereas the first one's like the drug problem in the city and cops having to deal with it. The second one deals with unions in the docks and mobsters and then it keeps spiraling like that through different aspects of the city but that first one i think overall gives you the general gist of what you're going to get through the rest of the seasons and it honestly if you you know there's there's some really good seasons later on but the um some of the stuff uh, a lot of the characters get broken by by the fifth season so i think i think if you just ran through that first season i think that would probably be enough of an investment to to appreciate it okay all right. Sounds like we all have homework to do. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Sean. <laughs> all right. Well, episode number ten, fellas. What do you think? It's double digits now. Like we're we're we got we got some uh, we're like big boys now. We're like internet celebrities now. <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. right. Me and my forty-eight followers on Twitter. Look out! <laughs> <laughs> the view from the top of the mountain. I'll be honest, though, having podcasted myself just by myself in the past, getting to your 10th episode, it does feel good. <laughs> I think by the 10th episode, I pod faded twice in my original run. Yeah, there's something about, uh, you know, hitting hitting this threshold that's, that's pretty cool. So anyways, thanks. Uh, I'll just say right now, thanks to everyone who's listened and thanks to Sean for coming back and being a guest on now twice. But everybody else who's been on the show as well it's been uh been a good run of 10 and hope for lots more sets of 10 <laughs> so uh let's go ahead and get on to our uh main topic and we've kind of alluded to this a little bit or a lot of bit already um 
since we're joined by Sean again, and he's from BrandedInThe80s.com, we thought it would be uh, good to take another trip back to the um, the 80s, and this time we're going to look at the uh, early to mid-80s. And um, for me, this was really the formative years of my nerddom as I look back. I mean, I, I'd been... Um, I remember watching, uh, you know, the Star Wars and the Star Trek movies uh, real young, and I and I had um, several uh, Star Wars action figures, seemingly at a very young age. I also had lots of superhero action figures, and um, among other things, I, mean, I had tons tons of toys. Uh, you know, I was not wanting for toys, that's for sure. Um, but then 1982 came around, and there was a couple of new lines that came out um, that really captured my attention, and I was. I was just sort of hitting that that age of like five or six when when um you know I don't know it was just really a, a great fun time I was able to kind of understand and comprehend more about what these things were and one was GI Joe and that continues to be a, a staple in my collection to this day but the other one w- was a big deal for me although it didn't stick to the same extent uh, for me as GI Joe did but that was He Man and the Masters of the Universe uh, in this episode we're going to go back and relive the days of our youth a bit and talk about the old He-Man toys, and we're going to primarily focus on the toys, um, those those specific action figures and, and toys from the 80s. Uh, we won't really get into the newer stuff, although we might allude to it or reference it, um, stuff from the past decade or so. Um, and just, you know, maybe mention how cool it is they're still making that stuff um, in, in spite of uh, uh, the absurd business model that I've alluded to before for um, how Mattel sells the stuff. But I sort of frame the context for my own history of the action figures, and I want to kind of give everybody a chance to do that as well and and just sort of set the stage for what sort of action figures had you been collecting when He-Man came along and, and how how big of an impact did, uh, uh, how big of a splash did He-Man make when, when you first were aware of it. And, uh, Jeej, we'll start with you. So I'm the same age as you, CT, and, you know, I think the age we were when He-Man came out is about the time that you, as a kid, start understanding uh, what to ask for and being influenced by marketing and, and sort of uh, all those kinds of uh, things that drive you to ask your parents for various toys. And uh, He-Man was probably the number one toy line that I ended up having as a kid um, with a close second being Transformers after that. Um, and so I ended up with a ton of these um, and was uh, a big fan of the cartoon and way into this. And so it, it clearly had an impact on me, and it was probably the first kind of mass production toy line that I ever got. I think prior to that, I, you know, I would have had been playing with blocks or um, maybe some Fisher-Price stuff as a toddler. I don't know, but this would have been the first kind of uh, mainline toy that I got into. Okay. Um, Pax, what about you? Um, yeah, I'm kind of the same as Jeej. Like, probably before this uh, was mainly, like, Star Wars. It was hitting its stride, I guess, with the Empire figures and stuff. So that and Matchbox cars were kind of the big one until this hit. And I remember when I first uh, found a He-Man figure, I was uh, vacationing with my family in Myrtle Beach. And um, my mom always took us to this outlet mall called Waccamaw Pottery. And it was like... I hated every second of it, but there was this one like cheesy, like generic, like toy liquidators, like toy store. And it was always these knockoff stuff. And I I walked in there one day and in the back corner, there was like two or three figures and it was all the same figure. And, 
and it was it was merman. Well, I know now that it was merman, but I saw it and it was awesome. And it was a huge and muscular like fish creature. And I went and told my dad, and I misread the card. And I remember telling him, I was like, I found this awesome like sea creature. His name's Herman. And I was like, Herman. Of course, his name is Herman. It's a giant fish creature. And Dad's like, Are you sure that's his name? I was like, Yes, I read it, Dad. And then I need this figure. And that was the first figure I got was Merman, and it it blew up from there. Um, mainly spawned on by the cartoon because I was a huge fan of the cartoon. So after Star Wars, yeah, this was a pretty big, and I went up with a lot of the figures and my friends had a lot of the figures. So yeah, this was a, this was a pretty big line for me when I was growing up. All right. What about you, Sean? Um, <clears throat> I always had some weird experiences getting into toy lines uh, when I was younger. Um, by this time I was probably hip deep in Star Wars or yeah, Star Wars figures and stuff. Um, but I never really went out to, uh, I mean, I went to like grocery shopping and stuff with my mom, but I never went to like toy stores or anything like that. So I never seemed to see any of the new toys that way. And what my parents would do, or at least what my mom would do is she'd buy a bunch of stuff throughout the year and she'd wait until I I was sick or something. And then she would try to make me feel better by just giving me a barrage of toys or whatever. And I remember it was, uh, 82 or 83 when, I don't know, I got the sniffles, and next thing you know, I had like eight or nine different He-Man figures sitting in my lap. So I guess my parents kind of pushed it on me in a weird way. (laughs) (laughs) FYI, um, your parents are awesome. (laughs) I I would be like exposing myself to all kinds of diseases if that were the situation in my house. (laughs) Right. I I do have some sense memories like that. A, A lot of the times that I remember being sick as a kid, I do. It's wrapped around toys and books and stuff like that. Um... But yeah, so once they gave me those toys, uh, it was just all over. I mean, I loved Star Wars, but He-Man was just so much bigger, and there was just so many things you could do with each individual figure that it just, it totally blew my little mind away, and I think for like the next two or three years, everything was just He-Man with me. All right. Um, So it sounds like we all kind of started at the same time. Like, we didn't really have, you know, maybe, uh, Sean, you said maybe it was 83 or something, but like, we we were all, uh, none of us were late adopters. No, none of us were like getting into the line after the movie came out or something. We were all kind of there near the beginning. Uh, uh, So, uh, uh, Pax, you mentioned that Merman was your um, first one. Um, Does anybody else remember their first He Man action figure? Specifically? I don't remember my first, but I I know that among the first and the one uh, that I gravitated towards the strongest of those early ones was Trapjaw. Yeah. I was going to say that's the same. I think think when my mom dumped that uh, stack of toys in my lap, I think Trapjaw was the one that I was drawn to. Yeah, I, I can't remember my first. I think I might have actually had He-Man uh, as an early one, or I might have had like a He-Man and Skeletor, or, or you know maybe a couple were first. I really, I really can't remember. I know that He-Man and Skeletor, those two particular characters, I had early on. I remember that their swords um, connected, and they they would form one you know super sword. In fact, that's one of the things I kind of want to talk about is the 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 action figures came with little comic books and um, and the story that formed those um that, that formed the characters in that story you know was ba- based around the fact that there was this big sword and they had been split into two and he-man had a half and skeletor had a half um and that didn't seem to be the case at all in the cartoon what, what about you guys did you guys um you know follow the comics at all that, that came out with the, the toys like did you did you let that influence how you played with the characters at all or i certainly read them when i got them and i think i would find 
interesting tidbits about the characters in there that I would kind of work into how I, I played, but I really think the cartoon is what sort of drove um, the storylines or the, or the backstory I had for each character more so than the comics. Yeah, I agree with Jeej. I read the comics also, and they influenced me to a point because I remember the the half swords, and I thought that was pretty cool, and I, I tended to incorporate that in my play, but really the biggest influence was probably the cartoon when I would play. Yeah, I know. I don't think I ever actually read the comics that came with the toys, which is kind of weird. I'm wondering if, like, uh, while I was enraptured with one of the figures, my mom was opening up all the rest and just kind of chucking everything in the garbage except for the figure. I was never even aware that there was differences in the comics till like much later until like my teens or whatever when I was like looking back on it. So definitely the cartoon influenced it. And I always thought it was weird that things like the swords would join together or that man at arms didn't have a mustache on the toy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think one of the reasons I even read them because I normally I tear them open and then I would just play with them. It wasn't re- but the artwork was amazing. And that's why and like one of the other reasons I was drawn to that merman card was because the card was just so phenomenally colorful and just awesome. And I was like, this comic is amazing. And I just couldn't believe the artwork. So I would read it. And um, that's kind of where that started. And then when the cartoon came out, that completely drove all that out. But, uh, but the uh, artwork is really what drew me to it. Yeah. I remember that at least the covers, they were, were they like, they were painted like, like almost like oil paintings or something like that. Right. They were, they were pretty, uh, pretty detailed, uh, illustrations, at least on the covers, if not the insides as well. Yeah, yeah. Mattel was really good about that with their with their He Man merchandising. The magazines that would come later all had the painted covers and everything, but the actual card back, which I thought was kind of strange. But then I guess the the figure was selling the packaging, not the not the card. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. The, the packaging itself was just uh, for for most of the time, if not the entire run, was just like a red, essentially a primarily red card back. Is, is that that's my recollection of it? Yeah, I think it was like a volcano blowing up, and it was it was very rare. It's like very subtle. You didn't necessarily notice it, and you can't unless you kind of like stood back and looked at it. But yeah, it was it was it was mostly red and blue, and mostly again the figures were so huge it took up a good portion of the card back, and above that was mostly just the uh, Masters of the Universe logo. So there wasn't much room for <laughs> any other kind of artistic expression. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I guess let's let's kind of walk through a couple of these um, waves and just talk about some of the characters. The the first year, the 1982 wave had um, on the on the Masters side had He Man, Man at Arms, Stratos, uh, and Tila were the um, first four good guys, and then Skeletor, Beast Man, uh, Merman were the three bad guys, and then also uh, Zodak, uh, who was quote unquote neutral. And then um, Battle Cat, we can also say, um, uh, was a character, you know, not a not a figure, but like a creature, I guess, is what they're labeled as on uh, on this website. I'm looking at um, He-Man.org. I probably I should have said that earlier. Check out He-Man.org if you want to kind of follow along uh, and look at some pictures with us as we talk about these things. Um, did you guys have um, so Pax mentioned Merman? I said I had He-Man, Skeletor. You guys have a lot of this this wave, this line. Yeah, I had all of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I had the majority of them. Like after Merman, I don't think I got another figure. That was that summer, so I guess that Christmas, um, I woke up and I had Castle Grayskull and pretty much all the figures that were out at the time. So, um, 
And that, that was what a did you call. do for six months when you only had Merman? What was he <laughs> yeah. doing in your house? <laughs> he, I, I don't remember. I mean, I just remember getting Merman, and I remember – I don't remember. I thought I had – like Beastman was another one that I loved, and I don't remember if I had him or my friend had him. I must have had him because I also had a Dracula um, figure, and I used to use him as Wolfman for a while. Like so, <laughs> so I had him by himself and like Dracula playing Wolfman. So, I mean, I, I tended to go back and forth with him. But, yeah, Merman, I had by himself for the longest time. And I, I must have just played with him with Star Wars. And it was like a huge monster they had to fight because I had nothing else after that. I uh, I never had Merman. And he was one of those that I always wanted. Um, and I never had Zodak. And that was another character I had. But I had the rest of these characters. Um, I guess I didn't, I didn't have Battle Cat either. Um so, uh, but I did have the Castle Grayskull set, and I did have um, I did have He-Man Men at Arms, and, uh, and actually my sister got Tila because um, she was a girl. Uh, my sister got sort of like I'd get a bunch of He-Man figures, and my sister would usually get like the girl character. As I, you know, I don't even really know what the thinking was there, but it wasn't too long until my sister gave up playing with Tila, and she wound up in my collection. So, yeah, yeah, I think I had everything from that first wave, and. Um, I was I was always kind of um, utterly confused by Zodak. I, I just I, I could never wrap my mind around him or, or whatever. It's it's I think it was the thing because very early on I I glommed on to this idea that the good characters had gauntlets on their hands and furry boots, and the bad characters had three toes and this weird clawed hand with some kind of fin like sharp protrusions on their wrists. And it always messed me up that Zodak was like a mix between the two. And so I always thought he was kind of evil, but he looked like a good guy. <laughs> yeah, for uh, six to eight-year-olds, I'd think the idea of uh, neutral, you know, in, in like this whole idea of like good and bad, you know, is easy for us to get in most of the stuff we watch and play with. But the neutral thing, I think, uh, was kind of ahead of its time. For <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, I agree. Because he was labeled evil even on the packaging. He was like evil enforcer or something like that. And so if you're just looking at the box he came in, you're like, okay, he's a bad guy. Um, but at some point I had gotten, and I don't remember if it came with uh, the Point Dread playset or I got it some other way, but it was a comic with a record that would read along, you know, do sort of like audio theater with the comic book. And Zodak was a main character in that. And so that was where I got all my Zodak backstory. So I had him as a neutral guy that was, uh, you know, kind of like a, uh, who's the guy in the Fantastic Four? Uatu? Uatu the Watcher? Yes, Uh, exactly. So he was like that kind of role uh, in all of my play with the He-Man characters. I have to stop you there and say I am very impressed that you as a non-comic book fan, was able to pull out Uatu the Watcher. Yeah, 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 yeah the more formal name instead of the uh, <laughs> the more known Watcher yeah, name. I am, I am very impressed. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. The, uh, I agree. Zodak, uh, he was, he was, he was kind of labeled evil. And but I remember, I think in the little comic that came with him, it also mentioned that he was neutral, and I thought he looked awesome. And I was like, oh, he's like this space ranger kind of guy, and. But then I didn't understand. I was like, he's neutral. What does that mean? I didn't understand that when I was a kid. I was like, I don't what. So what side is he on? Because you can only be on one side. There's no such thing as middle. And I like, I didn't get it. But I thought he looked awesome. <laughs> he, he sits home and, and does banking for the good and evil people. He's like Switzerland. <laughs> exactly. He's the banker. The, the masters of the universe banker. 
Well, he is a uh, red and white color, just like the flag of Switzerland. That's <laughs> true. I think it I all know, becomes in, clear now. Yeah, in later years, I was always kind of disappointed that the toy didn't come with like a uh, a space um, throne thing that he would like sit in. I think in the cartoon. Um, oh, yeah. And looking back, it's like now that I'm a huge fan of Jack Kirby, you know, never, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't aware of Jack Kirby when I was that young. But looking back on it, looking back at the the design on the mask and the the gun and everything, and especially the the throne from the comics, it's like it it's kind of interesting how much was derived. I think from the new gods and stuff like that for that character. Oh, well, for yeah, for a lot, I think there was there's a lot of new gods stuff worked into He Man throughout the entire run. In fact. We probably won't talk about it a whole lot, but the movie is very much a uh, sort of a what if they made a live action New Gods movie? Um, you know, even he, with He Man sort of being the Orion and Skeletor being the dark side, so to speak. So, hmm. um, okay, well, so then um, 1983 comes along, and um, there's more characters that come out. Uh, Trap Jaw has been mentioned. Um, I never had him. I, he was another one I always wanted. Um, but uh, just to name a few, um, we had Faker, Man- Manny Faces, Ram Man, um, Trapjaw, Triclops, um, and then Zor and Screech. And um, of course, also this time they re-released He-Man and Skeletor, but this time the battle armor versions. You guys have a lot of those characters? Yes. I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think I had everything but the... Uh the two birds with that one, which were on my list of always wanted. They were overrated. I had both of them. And the, <laughs> the, uh, the way they did the wings on those was uh, weird. They would get bent. And so you'd want to have your bird in some sort of heroic soaring kind of pose. And the wing would be all cocked off to one angle. And, and so they were, were not uh, appealing figures really. No. Yeah, but I they were pretty cool. They came with the perch that you could put them on and stuff, and and that part was kind of cool. Huh. Yeah, I don't think I had those either. I had most of the others. I remember I had my the I got Ram Man and Attack Track on my birthday, and I had that birthday at a Showbiz Pizza. Um, and I don't know I don't know how much more eighties you can get uh, than having <laughs> birthday at Showbiz and getting He Man figures. Well, okay, I take that back, and you can edit edit this out if it gets too long okay same showbiz a couple of years later um they have an after hours thing called showbiz after hours and my friend and i are like 12 years old and we're, we're a year too young you're supposed to be 13 to 18 we get in anyway we go in where we get into a breakdance competition in showbiz we win and i get like survivor and ario speedwagon lps which i have to this day and a little trophy so there you go another little 80s story there at the same show bins. Well, I will not be cutting that out, that's for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, how can we edit out the fact that Pax is a breakdance champion? Exactly. <laughs> if, if anything, I'm editing out everything else out and leaving that. <laughs> leaving that. <laughs> so yes, I'm going to have to find that trophy now and uh, I'm going to scan it and put it up for you guys. Awesome. Excellent. <laughs> um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Pax. Oh, well, I was going to say, um, but yeah, the attack track was awesome, but uh, I loved, and we talked about Trapjaw and Triclops were two of my favorites, and Faker I loved, and I didn't, I knew he was a duplicative He-Man, and I was, but I didn't never understood why he was blue with like red or orange hair, <laughs> and I was like, that is not a very good duplicate. <laughs> I was like, Skeletor's an idiot, but I lo- I loved that figure though, and I still have 
the only figures I have left are, are I have He-Man, Faker, and Battle Cat, and those are the only ones I have left in my possession. And uh, I'm, those were always one of my favorites. Well, I hate to I, like get into this, uh, and maybe every week now we're going to have some sort of disagreement about something. But, uh, <laughs> I, I actually like I had Faker, but I never liked him. I could never make him fit into like the story. I never like I was like like much like you're saying like. Skeletor is an idiot to even think that this guy could replace He-Man. I, I cannot make sense of how Faker works in this world. Right. Well, which they fixed it in the cartoon. They actually made him just He-Man with glowy eyes, um, which I don't – that's still – I guess you had to tell him apart somehow. But um, I think I liked him because he was such crazy colors and he was an identical of He-Man. And even though it didn't work, I was still was like – I think, still think he's pretty awesome. I well, coveted. Faker. I, he was one of the few characters of this series that I did not have and I wanted him so bad but I was like you Pax. I was like I don't I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense why is he blue but I don't care. I want it. Exactly. Well I'm holding one right now. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I will say that this is this is an interesting place where we can kind of talk a little bit about um, the, the genesis behind the series. I don't know if any of you guys have uh, read a book called uh, Mastering the Universe. It's by a guy named Roger Sweet who claims to have completely and totally created the He-Man series. I've heard about it. I, yeah. I think I have heard about it, but I have not read it and need to put that there's, on the reading list. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of weird uh, controversy around the, the He-Man toys. Actually, there's a lot of manufactured controversy around the origin <laughs> of the He-Man toys. But um, I don't know, about, about five or six years ago, this book came out. And basically, um, uh, Roger Sweet is like a, a designer for toys and product lines and stuff like that. He, he designed uh, one of the, the Downy bottles with the built-in handle back in the day. And um, when he was, uh, he was working for Mattel in the early 80s, and uh, Mattel was trying to do, like, a, they were trying to find a way to license the Conan movie, basically. And sort of He-Man kind of started as genesis of, of that. And so he kind of ran with it and everything. And <clears throat> the the thing with Fakor that he uh, he said in the book was, well, actually, I think this is actually kind of funny. He was um, so proud of the job he did with Faker because at the end of the day, this figure is the ultimate in what Marvel or uh, Mattel, excuse me, was doing back in the days, where it was completely and totally reusing a mold. I mean, there's nothing on this figure that's brand new or different than anything in the rest of the line, except for the sticker that was underneath his little uh, chest armor. And Sweet was so proud of himself for coming up with a blue robotic version of He-Man that, that I don't know, it was just, it was really funny while reading the book because I have the exact same, you know, opinion kind of where it's like, this does not make sense at all. It's like, it's like Skeletor was getting weirdly narcissistic and was like, I'm going to create He-Man except blue with curtain boots and my armor. I don't know where the, the orange hair and armor came from, but. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just thought it was really interesting that um, Roger Sweet was so proud of himself for for coming up with that idea, <laughs> and I guess monetarily it worked. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of reused parts, but even by that point, like the first line, there's just what you know, like three sets of arms, and you know everybody had the uh, fuzzy, uh, the fuzzy, uh, you know, lo- uh, underwear. Uh, That's right. Kind, and- <laughs> I think it was just the accessories, the the chest armor and the heads that were different for the most part. Yeah, and like. Tila was a new sculpt at the time, but then, like, even then, when Evil Lynn came out uh, a couple years later, she was she Evil Lynn was uh, pretty much a re- repaint, remold of Tila. So, yeah. 
Well, I want to bring up the um, the battle armor. I never had the battle armor versions of He-Man and Skeletor, um, but I imagine that uh, some of you guys did. And I was kind of wondering what you guys thought about the battle armor versions of those characters versus the um, the regular versions. I know I was a big fan, but then um, I was enraptured. I don't know if it was that year that those came out that like the rest of the toy industry just sort of glommed onto that idea because there was the Hot Wheels with the, the like the battle damage. Oh yeah, I remember those. Yeah, like, yeah that's right. Um, but yeah, I, I always loved the idea because you know if 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 there's one thing also that that He Man sort of represents for me, it's it's um, bringing action back to cartoons and toys. Where you know, as much as I love Star Wars figures, they're probably the most static action figures ever, and not very. You know, you don't, you don't get a lot of action just by like setting them up and looking at them. <laughs> um, but with He-Man and everything, you know, there was there was the swivel waist, and the, a lot of them had punching arms and different things. And the idea that you could actually see battle damage from their weapons on their chests and everything, I just that just blew my mind. I just thought that was so awesome as a kid. Yeah, I had I both agree. battle armor yeah. figures, and I thought it was a great addition to the swivel punching action in the waist. So you can crank a guy back and have him swing his his sword or axe and hit hit the other guy in the chest, and then a big gash would appear. I thought I thought that was that was a great next step for that. Yeah, I agree. It was a I was a big fan of it. I actually wound up not having either of the battle armors, but my friend that I played with did. So I got to play with them a lot, and I was I loved it. I thought it was a great feature, and I wanted one, but I never got it. And they held up surprisingly well. Like, you know, I had a couple guys, you know, where the rubber bands and the legs broke and, and their legs came off and things like that. But the the spring-loaded waist and then the spring in the battle armor, it both it took a lot of punishment, actually. Yeah, these, these Mattel toys, they really were meant to be played with, which is something else that, that seemed to be, you know, again, there's... You can get a lot of imagination out of Star Wars figures and everything, and especially like G.I. Joe that year or whatever, like in 82, where you'd have a lot more articulation to a figure. But the, the He-Man figures were durable. I mean, surprisingly durable. Well, yeah, you know, Pax, you mentioned you've still got, uh, I guess, three of them. And then, Sean, you mentioned you've got Faker still at the very least. I mean, do you have more characters from yeah, your childhood? Yeah, I, I have a whole stack of figures here still. Geez, do you still have a bunch of yours? No, I have given all of mine away. Uh, just within the last few years, I had I had my full set uh, vehicle, Snake Mountain, all that stuff, and I gave it to our buddy, the Dave. But they were and still he, all he, like intact and stuff. I mean, like this, I guess that's sort of my point is like these um, these have held up in the like the last thirty years uh, for the most part. That they still have all their legs intact and. Still could take yeah, I think I had a couple accessories, you know, where like a, like a chest plate, the strap, you know, wouldn't clip anymore, or the uh, a guard on a sword that had been broken or something. But yeah, the figures themselves were all in good shape still. And I mean, at least with the the figures that I still have, I mean, the paint applications are still almost perfect. It's it's weird how durable these things really are. <laughs> Also, the uh, the color, the various colors of the different plastics haven't really mismatched all that much over time. Whereas, like you look at some of the older Star Wars figures and stuff, and some of those guys look pretty rough. Yeah, that colorization, the yellow and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's um, let's see here. 
th- there's another you know another couple of ways we could get into if some other big characters start coming in like Buzz Off, Clawful, Evil Lynn, as I mentioned before, um, Fisto, Mechanek, Orko, Prince Adam. You know, we can go on for a while. I guess I'll just sort of give the opportunity, and I'll start with you, Pax. What were some? Um, maybe just pick uh, two or three of your favorite characters that uh, that you really loved that were part of your collection. Um. Like I said, He-Man and Faker were my favorite, and I love Trapjaw and Triclops. Later on, some of the later ones, I, I wound up not not being able to get, but I wound up... Uh, Hordak was a big one that I loved, and I was never I never able to get them. Um, I really liked Ninjor and Jitsu um, because I was a big fan of martial arts stuff, and I thought those were great figures. I love Jitsu's giant gold hand, and you can do the karate chop with them. And uh, I loved uh, another one I love, which I didn't get, was uh, Rio Blast, the gunslinger guy. It just <laughs> reminded it reminded me of uh, Brave Star, um, and I, I just I just thought he was a cool looking figure and just kind of a wacky entrance into an already wacky lineup of uh, characters. And uh, nowadays, I didn't know about it then, but I know about it now, and I just love the look of it as that Scareglow figure that's uh, super rare now. Oh yeah, those are some of the ones that I. I love growing up, and I love now. And, and you said some of those you did not have. You just loved them in spite of the fact you had them or yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. Like Hordak, I I knew of. I was just never able to get a hold of them. Uh, I did have Jitsu, um, and I wanted Ninjor, but he was kind of hard to find when he came out because I think he was towards the tail end. And Rio Blast, <laughs> I like. I begged and begged, but I was never able to get a hold of him. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Sean? Who are some of your top picks? Uh, well, I guess whether you had them or not. Yeah, some of my favorite figures were um, the fig- the characters that had like um, a lot of gimmicks to them or whatever. So uh, I loved Webstore, the blue spider guy that had like a grappling hook and a, a zip line on his back. Yeah. And um, my f- probably my favorite figure was Cobra Khan, um, part of the Snake Men, I think, from later on, one of the villains. And he had a, like a hollowed out chest where you could put some water and then you'd, um, you'd take his head off and you'd fill his chest with water and then you'd put his head back on. He was sort of like a, a squeeze bottle where you could <laughs> squeeze down his head and he'd put out a mist of water. And <laughs> I used to sit down and watch the cartoon and like put, I don't know, like a four or five thimblefuls full of Coke in there and just sort of spray soda into my mouth while I watched the <laughs> <laughs> That is hilarious. <laughs> But yeah, all, all the figures that had any kind of um, gimmick to them. Uh, Roboto was a favorite because he was like a crystal clear robot that you could see all the gears working inside of his chest when he'd move. Yeah, I like that one too. Yeah, stuff like that I thought was really cool later on. What about you, Jeej? Probably my overall favorite was, was Trapjaw, um, but uh, I had Webstore as well. He was on my list of favorites because that uh, grappling hook thing was just awesome. And it and it actually worked well. It wasn't just like a gimmick, like, oh, he has a string with a hook on it or whatever. There was like a backpack and you could pull the string and he would climb the rope and everything. It was that was really cool. Um and then probably my my next favorite after that would be Panthor, which is the Skeletor's equivalent to Battle Cat. And he was purple with like a like a velour kind of felt fur on him. And I just thought that was the coolest looking thing. Um, they, they were not the, they were not posable at all. That was the only downside to battle cat and, and Panthor, but Panthor just looked badass. <laughs> yeah. I always, um, I always wanted battle cat and I uh, never got him. I remember when we were 
And um, when I was about seven, we were getting ready to move from South Carolina, and we were having to, we were not going to be able to bring our dog. And so it was sort of like, I mean, it wasn't like something that could replace my dog, but as a replacement of sorts, my parents were going to take me to the store and let me buy, um, let me finally buy Battle Cat. And they did not have, they did not have Battle Cat uh, at that time. Um, and I remember I wound up having to settle on um, something else, and I wound up getting uh, Prince Adam. Um, and to this day, that's the only one I still have. I wound up selling the rest of them, but I kept Prince Adam just, just surely because of the nostalgic factor of that whole experience. I mean, that's the only one I think I remember when I got it and how I got it. Um, and I did like, uh, even though he's got those weird purple pants, um, I did like his little, uh, his jacket he had, his, uh, <laughs> his, uh, red vest. And yeah. the pink jacket. sword as well. And the yeah. pink, yes, the pink sword. But I was always, I always try and match that with, uh, Faker's orange sword. I would always combine those two. Um, and then I had, um, I always, the ones I had, I had many faces, many faces was a favorite of mine. I never really could figure out what his deal was. Um, but, uh, I liked, I liked that. I liked the design of him and the fact he had the three faces. I did like Triclops and I did have a Hordak and I liked him quite a bit as well. Um, let's see. I always wanted a Merman, Battle Cat. Um, I always wanted a Panthor as well. Um, Trapjaw. And um, I guess those were the big uh, big figures I wanted. I did also want a Snake Mountain just because uh, that, that always seemed like a, a cooler playset than Castle Grayskull. Uh, I don't, did either, any of you guys have um, uh, Snake Mountain? Gee, you said you did, right? I did, yep. Yeah, and I wanted it too. 20, 20 years after the fact, when I, when I gave it to my friend, the microphone still works, so you can still make crazy voices with it. Oh, awesome. <laughs> nice. Was it like one it, of those uh, like echoey things you can, like, uh, or was it like an electronic device with batteries, or how did that yeah, work? Yeah, it was, it took batteries. And, I mean, the ultimate effect was kind of like one of those uh, plastic echoey microphones you can pick up, but uh, it, it took batteries, and uh, you had a little place to talk into, and you press the button down, and then it would make like a distorted echoey voice. Sean, did you have Snake Mountain? No, I, ne- I never uh, got uh, Snake Mountain. After Castle Grayskull, that was the last like playset slash vehicle that... I, I, yeah, I I always wanted uh, so many of the vehicles because I never I, for some reason my parents wouldn't uh, didn't think about buying those or I don't know if I if I knew about them to ask for them. Um, so yeah, I always I always coveted Snake Mountain and mostly because it had electronics and wasn't there also a puppet like a puppet snake or something? It wasn't a puppet. There was a snake that was like on a swivel and you could move it around to and it would kind of loop into the front of the playset where there was like a, a path on the outside. And then there was a face kind of built into the mountain. It didn't look anything like the cartoon. And that had a little lever where you could make the mouth move kind of like a puppet. And so, of course, I would have the good guys get get their arm caught or be, get eaten by it or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, I always I always. Uh like the idea of it because there was so much it seemed like there was so much more to it than Castle Grayskull well, yeah there was a lot a, yeah they had a ton of stuff like the Eternia was huge and uh, uh, the slime pit I always thought looked pretty awesome too or it could have been just the artwork on the box but it looked awesome well one thing that I didn't even know about till we started doing homework for this podcast that I, that I now want is the King Randor action figure who looks like a completely ripped Burger King. <laughs> and so now I want that. Yeah, yeah. They've actually made um 
they've made a king an updated King Randor figure, and I made a, I did as a joke on uh, Twitter. I made a uh, Canador uh, Photoshop. <laughs> I remember that, and I used the King Randor uh, as the basis of that. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to get a King Randor now and, and make a custom Canador. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny how. Um, Filmation took these concepts and really ran with them for the cartoon and they created a bunch of new characters and you can almost see in the way that Mattel released some of the later toys that they kind of resented the fact that Filmation came up with such memorable characters that sort of forced them into making them which didn't they didn't really seem like they wanted to do it at the time the the Prince Adam the King yeah even the Orko figure I think was sort of a an afterthought. Well, like the sorceress the was sorceress didn't come out until like 1987. So this was like five years yeah. later. They finally pulled the trigger on her. Yeah. I think Same that's why I liked, yeah, I think that's why I liked the, the birds so much. Cause I think for the longest time, that one bird was sort of the stand in for the sorceress. Yeah. Cause she could turn into that. that <laughs> yeah, bird. that's right. Um, so were there any, um, Figures you had that were kind of ones you didn't like, like I mentioned before, I, I wasn't really a big fan of uh, Faker. I also had a Spike Or. I wasn't a fan of him. I uh, also I'm glad I never had Mechanic. Um, <laughs> I'm also glad I never had Fisto. Um, I don't know. Were there any characters that you didn't really like? Sort of ones you thought were over the top or too silly. Pax, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I thought there were there were several crappy ones. Luckily, I didn't. The only one I remember having myself that I thought was crap was uh, Modulock because uh, it had like 20 pieces that came with it. And you, I mean, it was cool you could create different characters, but they all looked like crap. So it was like I, I didn't really, I didn't really like that one. Um, another one I remember, I can't remember if I had it or my friend had it. Too bad was one of the worst figures. Uh, I remember coming out because all you could do with them, he had the two sides. He had like the green side and the purple side or something. And their their fists, they only allowed you to hit himself. Like he just kept hitting himself over and over again. I was like, this is the worst figure I have ever seen. So that one was pretty bad. And I think the other one I didn't like was uh, there were a couple that reminded me of the Rock Lords from GoBots. They turned into rocks or something. Like Rock Core, Rock Han, or something like that. Stone Door was one. Yeah, yeah there was a bunch and the Stone Door, and there were. I thought those were kind of, kind of goofy. Um, and I think all those kind of came towards the end anyway. Those were some of the ones I I did not like. What about you, Jeej? I had stopped collecting by the time things got really weird, so I didn't have any of the ones that were just completely out there. But some of the ones that were disappointing, um, I had Whiplash, who was like this lizard guy with a long tail and. You're supposed to use the the spring loaded action in the waist to like whip the tail at people, but the tail wasn't long enough to really hit anyone. So he would have to be standing like right on top of the person uh, to hit him with the tail, um, and then he would fall over, of course, as well. So it was just uh, the whole mechanism didn't work. And honestly, I loved my Ram Man figure, but he was actually sort of disappointing to play with because you could barely even get him to stand up a lot of times because he just had. Uh, a solid piece, you know, piece of plastic that was molded together for his two legs, and so he had this very narrow base, and so he would fall over basically all the time. So unless you were using him to actually ram into something, you would just have him laying in the corner somewhere, <laughs> and he was not not as exciting as as you would hope on a ram man. 
I, I remember that. Ram. Too. I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Ram Man. Or, <laughs> I don't really mean it, but you know, <laughs> because they listen to this podcast, they might start. I don't know. But you're to- you're totally right. And when the Rain Man's spring mechanism for his jumping went out, he'd like squat down, so he kind of looked like a midget, like <laughs> two inches taller than everyone, two inches shorter than everyone else. It's <laughs> just like he was a great figure, but I I was a little disappointed with how they they went about making him. I agree. Uh, all right, Sean, what about you? Do you have any least favorites? Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with Ram Man. Um, there was, there, he was just too limited of a figure in a, in a sea of other figures that could do so much more. Um, the other two that, that always kind of disappointed me were uh, Stinkor and Moss Man. I love them conceptually, but I don't know what it was that they put on those figures to make them smell, but it was strong, and it made my entire toy box smell like a mixture between a, a an evergreen forest and that generic skunk smell. Oh, did Stinkor actually come with a... Was he scented somehow? Yeah, but both of the figures were, were scented. Uh, Mossman was flocked and scented, but yeah, it's just... It, he just ended up... Like, like Mossman just sort of ended up being like an air freshener that just kind of <laughs> got pushed to the side and I never wanted to play with. Locked and scented. I like that. <laughs> According to He-Man.org, it's patchouli oil. So there oh. you go. That's what made him smell. Oh. <sighs> hippie figures. Yes, he was a hippie. <laughs> Stinking hippie. <laughs> all right. Um, well, just real quick. So we um, we were all uh, into this uh, initial line, and then um, that was followed up by a, a few different sets. Uh, did anybody um, ever get any She-Ra action figures? Uh, I probably know the answer but uh just thought i'd ask no sir (laughs) you did want that yeah i did i I wanted a she-ra i will admit (laughs) because i did like the cartoon i thought it was a good like sequel cartoon to the um to the he-man cartoon and uh essentially was just more he-man uh for the most part and so i I will admit that i I would have liked to have had a she-ra but by that point it was um i I was pretty much getting out of it anyway (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I loved the cartoon. I was a huge fan of Secret of the Sword, and uh, that, and I always thought of Hordak as a She-Ra character anyway. So uh, I, I like some of the She-Ra stuff. I did wind up with the She-Ra. I wound up with uh, um, who else? I think I wound up with a bow, and I think I wound up with um, whoever the little the short yellow guy with the huge ears. Um, Cowl. Yeah, yeah, I think I wound up with him, too. And I, I don't remember how I got a hold of those, but uh, um, I wound up with a couple of those. So, I mean, they were all right, but um, I, th- I think I mainly liked them from the movie, The Secret of the Sword. I, d- I never really watched the show. All right, and then there well, was... Go ahead. I, I was just going to say real quick, just to, to let some disturbing childhood stuff go through. Um, my mom was kind of weird again. She she bought most of the toys, and she she very specifically didn't buy me female figures, so I never had like a Baroness with GI Joe or many Princess Leia's or anything for Star Wars. I did have Tila and uh, Evil Lynn, and I was really curious about what was under the breastplate <laughs> Evil Lynn, and I ended up scratching off all the paint on her breastplate. So I think after that, my mom like drew this really deep line in the sand that I will not have any female figures. So I never ended up with any of the Shira figures, and I was always very sad about that. <laughs> not even awesome. the uh, horses or anything. Any? Yeah, no, 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 no unicorns for me. 
All right. Then anybody, I, this was this would have been uh, several years later, or I guess a few years after the He-Man, uh, about ten years after the He-Man first came out. Um, the the New Adventures of He-Man line. Anybody ever get into that at all? Or this is where he went into space and had new new characters. Yeah, I remember hating that as a kid. Both the cartoon and seeing the action figures—they just look so puny. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah, I was gonna say. I think like the He-Man figure was about the size of a Tila. Yeah, I agree. They they look terrible. I mean, I don't remember the the show. I remember the figures and seeing them. I'm like, oh, new He-Man figures, and they look terrible. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I hated everything about that one. Yeah, I don't remember ever encountering those when they were out the first time. The homework for the podcast was the the time that I learned about these, and yes, they look terrible. Yeah, <laughs> All right, any uh, final parting thoughts on He-Man before we wrap up this uh, main topic? Well, I was going to say real quick that with the new Adventures of He-Man, um, with Mattel doing those new uh, super articulated, nicely sculpted um, action figures, they've sort of started branching off into the new adventures, and they just released a figure uh, called Icarus, was, who was sort of like a spaceman with like a jetpack. But um, just to tie this more into the 80s, since I'm, I'm here and everything, I thought it was awesome that the people that sculpted the new figure, um, for Icarus's head, they, used, they basically used Val Kilmer from Top Gun, and they made him into like Iceman. So I just thought that that was really hilarious and awesome. And, well, Does he come with out. a volleyball playset? Is that how this works? He totally should. He has two heads. I think one of them is really pouty, and then the other one's not. <laughs> wow. But anyways. All right, Pax, Gij, any other final He-Man thoughts? Um, Anybody have a nope. moral to the story they want to point out? What we learned today on this episode, <laughs> in, in the spirit, in keeping with the spirit of the He-Man cartoon, we learned that the original He-Man was awesome. Yes, and the new ones are just kind of okay. All right, and well, don't be afraid to talk to police, kids, because they're here to help you. <laughs> Unless they're giant horde robot police, then don't talk to those. That's true. Those guys were awesome. Those horde troopers. They were awesome. That was another one I wanted. I wanted a horde trooper because I had, they were reminiscent of stormtroopers, and I was like, man, they're huge. And I was like, oh, those were awesome. Never got one though. All right. Well, I think we will wrap up the uh, discussion on He-Man there, and uh, now we're going to do something a little bit different. For the past nine episodes, we've closed out our episodes with something we've been calling the closing monologue. Uh, since Geech, Pax, and I are all bloggers, and a lot of our guests have been bloggers. We thought this audio version of a blog might be kind of fun and serve as a cool way to end our show. For various reasons, we have decided to cease doing the Closing Mana blogs for now and do something else. That's not to say we'll never do them again, but it will not be a regular thing. So what are we going to do instead? Well, you know, we're on episode 10 now. We're kind of feeling bold and, and everything, and we're a part of the Atomic Geeks podcasting network. So we thought maybe we'd just do the exact same thing our big brother podcast, the Atomic Geeks, do, and we will do... Atomic Picks. Atomic Picks. Okay, so first up for Atomic Picks is Paxton. Go ahead, Pax. Thanks, CT. Uh, tonight I wanted to... Hey, what is that? You guys hear something? What? Hey, what's going on here? Whoa, hey, uh, it looks like Christian Nielsen from the Atomic Geeks has somehow, like, tapped into our Skype call. What? what how, have you, how are you doing this? 
Well, I was at the uh, Tag Broadcasting Center monitoring podcasts, as I usually do in my evenings, and my podcast sense was tingling. And I heard that you were stealing one of our ideas from the Atomic Geeks podcast. We explicitly told you no creative license when it comes to the Atomic Picks. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't remember you saying that. Um, so we can't do Atomic Picks? I'm afraid not. It's in the contract. Okay. Uh, Can we do nuclear picks? <laughs> uh, I think any, all versions of picks, atomic, nuclear, and radioactive, and otherwise, cannot be done under our agreement. Uh, okay, so I guess we'll have to come up with something else to do instead of the closing monoblog and something else to do instead of atomic picks. Um, well, Christian, uh, is it all right if we tonight on this uh, recording, if we go ahead and do atomic picks since we kind of already planned it out to do it that way? Well, maybe just this one time. Okay. Uh, all right, Pax. We'll go back to you. <laughs> Thanks, CT, and thank you, Christian. Um, all right. Uh, my atomic pick for this evening, I guess, will be uh, if you remember back to way back to episode four, I did a closing monologue on the Six Million Dollar Man, and I am still kind of on a Bionic Man kick. So I finally read the Kevin Smith uh, Bionic Man comics. Um, there are three out right now. I read the first two, and I'm in the middle of the third. And uh, essentially, this is Kevin Smith's script that he wrote for a Bionic Man movie that he has kind of adapted for comics. And uh, it is really good. He, uh, as usual, writes great dialogue. And he brought in uh, another writer, Phil Hester, for uh, to punch up some of punch up some of the comic writing and uh jonathan lau i believe is the artwork and it's great uh, great story <clears throat> i like how he's changed some of the uh, characters and some of the story it's the same but different a great adaptation um good good dialogue and uh i really enjoy it and i would recommend if you have a chance uh read kevin smith's bionic man it's ongoing right now from dynamite press um it's currently on issue three all right, uh, Jeej. My atomic pick tonight is a fun little Korean movie. The English title is The Good, The Bad, The Weird, and I won't try and pronounce the original Korean. This is a uh, kimchi western that's set in 1930s in occupied uh, Manchuria, uh, where the Japanese army is in place, uh, and basically involves a, a couple of bandits that are after some unknown treasure and a particular uh, bounty hunter that's been hired to track down one of them. Uh, along the way, uh, those three uh, run across uh, some gangs out in the desert, uh, the Japanese army, uh, townspeople, militia, bandits, all kinds of other people. Uh, it is highly stylized, lots of fun, tense, great action, uh, lots of gunplay, just a really fun ride. It is subtitled, so if you're not sophisticated like me with your foreign film consumption, that uh, uh, may be a detriment, but uh, a great movie. Available on Netflix. I actually got a copy out of the local library here, so you should be able to find The Good, The Bad, The Weird. All right, Sean. My atomic pick is, since we're on the subject of toys, um, there's an independent line of toys called Glios figures. Um, they're sold by a company called Onel Design. Um, their website's oneldesign.com. But basically, they're making affordable um, little action figures that are sort of like a cross between Lego and mask figures. 
where you can change their arms and legs and feet and put different heads on, and it's got a neat little space theme. But for a small independent toy company, they've managed to make like art toys very cheap and affordable and very collectible. And they just recently put out a new batch uh, the end of uh, during the end of October. So if you're interested at all in art or toys, I definitely suggest going to onelldesign.com and looking up their Glios figures. Cool. All right, Christian, did you happen to have an atomic pick you wanted to uh, share with us? Uh... Well, why not? Um, <laughs> uh, I have a, a two Atomic picks this week. Uh, I'm going to echo DJ sentiments on our fabulous podcast, The Atomic Geeks. Uh, there are two television shows out right now, uh, which are, have, are both fairy tale themed. Uh, one is called Once Upon a Time, and one is called Grim. Uh, Grim being the story of uh, a police officer who finds out that he's a long line of fairy from a long line of fairy tale profilers and starts seeing a lot of crazy stuff around and uh, begins to deal with it, uh, although very confusing at first. It actually is quite good. Uh, Once Upon a Time is a story of fairy tale characters uh, trapped in the real world, but slowly but surely figuring out that they're not exactly a part of this human race. Uh, a little bit soap opery, a lot of fantasy stuff thrown in there. I kind of like both of these shows. Not bad to start, and I look forward to seeing future episodes. So, there you go. Alright, and uh, for me, I've... Uh my atomic pick is going to be just real quick. I uh, mentioned on the NerdLunch.net blog uh, a few months back that I had picked up the entire series of uh, the Incredible Hulk television series, and I've, I've uh, since I'm uh, pretty busy right now with uh, schooling and and uh, work and family and stuff, I haven't been able to watch a whole lot of uh, television, but I've been able to kind of over time um, work through these Hulk episodes, just an episode at a time, and I've finally gotten into season three, and I'm finding that this is when. The season, the series really hits its stride. There are so many great episodes in the season, and uh, I don't think it's nostalgia talking. I really think there's some really solid stand-up uh, drama. Bill Bixby is an amazing actor. Jack Colvin uh, as Jack McGee is is uh, great. He um, he carries an entire uh, episode as a, a clips episode, and he is. Um, he is a phenomenal uh, actor that I wish uh, could see in more things over, uh, could have seen in more things over time, and um, uh, just really a really fun show. I, I completely uh, completely love it and recommend. Like if you, uh, I think it's on Netflix and, and uh, I think it's on Hulu as well. And you can just go out and check some of the uh, random episodes in, in three. And I'm looking forward to some of the stuff that I know is coming in season four. So there you go. That uh, I guess will be. Our uh, atomic picks for uh, the first and last time. Although we may have to, um, maybe maybe we'll see if we can re- renegotiate our contract with the Atomic Geeks and break it out again someday down the road. I'll talk to the lawyers. We'll see what we can do. All right. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for episode 10 of the Nerd Lunch Podcast. I want to thank our guests this evening first. Thank you, Sean, for joining us again. It was a pleasure to have you back. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you. Um, you can find my website at brandedinthe80s80s.com. And yeah, yeah, that's pretty much where I am. Okay. And um, let's see, we also had uh, Christian uh, coming on from the Atomic Geeks. Uh, thank you for stopping by and uh, setting us straight, I guess. Uh, can you tell us what's going to happen on your next episode? You can listen to the Atomic Geeks podcast and find out for yourself, jerks. 
<laughs> well, that sounds great. You can tell where no, we learned our promotion skills. <laughs> no, uh, next week, I don't know how this works. Is it next week on the Atomic Geeks podcast? Uh, it, it could be me hosting, and uh, on this episode, we are going to try to kill James Bond. Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> Might be the first episode I skip. Well, it, it'll all make sense when we listen to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> But not as fun as the Nerd Lunch Podcast, dear listener. Ooh, thanks for that nice little plug. Um, be sure to check out nerdlunch.net and cavalcadeofawesome.net for all kinds of bloggerific goodness. You can find uh, all, all of us on Twitter. I am at nerdlunch. Jeej is at nerdlunch. Jeej, J-E-E-G. And Pax is pa- at Paxton Holly, P-X-T-O-N-H-O-L-L-E-Y. And uh, Christian Nielsen is uh, also on Twitter. It's, he's at Hunkburger. And Sean is at Smurfwreck. Um, you can also, uh, we also would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. And we have a new uh, review from someone named Hunkburger. Who could that have been? I don't know, but it's probably very succinct and very prose-like and so on and so on. Probably the model for all reviews that should be written. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, until next time, kapla. This has been Nerd Lunch, a part of the Atomic Geeks Podcasting Network. Nerd Lunch theme by Rick Jackson. Music by Flannelhorn. Please place all trash in the receptacle. Thank you. What was your show about tonight, out of curiosity? Uh, we talked about old He-Man action figures from the uh, 80s, the, uh, the original line. Really, eh? Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, I thought anyway. Yes, I had a, I had a bunch of those for God. Actually, that was the action figure. Here's my little story. I'm just going to start talking because <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I've been talking all night already. Um, it, my interesting story about the He-Man figures is that I, I don't know. I, I bought like a uh, Battle Cat. I think at the point where I was sitting there holding it after like with being downtown with my mom doing some crap, who knows what. But I bought this Battle Cat. And I remember looking at myself, thinking to myself, I think. I'm almost too old to have this, but I loved it all the same, you know? <laughs> but I did not like the fact that it didn't have any moving legs and parts, which kind of bugged me. It was like a, basically a battle statue. Anyway, <laughs> it was. there's my long, boring story about that. All right, well, it's going to be cut. Just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I want it in. <laughs> <laughs>